Welcome to the Advent Houston podcast. At Advent, our mission is to embrace, embody, and extend the grace of Jesus Christ to the Texas Medical Center, Rice University, and the surrounding neighborhood. We're glad that you're here with us today. Good morning again. Um, my name is Taylor Leachman. I'm the planting pastor here at Advent, and it's good to be gathered together. I don't know um, if y'all remember the old commercial that said, life comes at you fast, um, and uh, it was probably not a very successful commercial, given that I don't remember what it was for, um, but <laughs> what's that? Insurance. Okay, yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, uh, there's I feel like today, and maybe this is how everybody feels, um, but I feel like the liturgy came at us fast. Like there was a whole lot of really good, rich words in there, and it just like came at us fast and slapped us in the face. Um, and so I, I just want to acknowledge that, uh, recognize that like we're trying to drink from a, um, from a, a fire hydrant, um, a, a massive hose, and um, we'll just... Uh, it's going to be hard uh, to do that, but hopefully as we kind of continue um, in our service that we have a, a moments for it to kind of seep in a little bit more and a little bit more. Um, the last few weeks or this entire semester, we have been looking at uh, the first few chapters in Genesis uh, in a series that we've called The Origin Story. Um, and we have finally made it uh, to chapter four, um, and uh, and we've been part of the reason we're only now at at chapter four is because we've been looking at each section kind of uh, with like a microscope essentially, rather uh, kind of looking at at the trees specifically of each passage rather than looking at the forest. Um, and so uh, I'm going to give us a brief, more foresty orient- oriented outline before we read. Genesis chapter 4, because most of us view Genesis 1 through 3 as if it's one storyline, and it is. However, I actually think that we're doing Genesis 4 a disservice. Genesis 4 ought to be considered as much a part of 1 through 3 as anything else. It's only when we get to Genesis 5 that we feel a natural break in the storyline. So, Up until this point, we've learned that God created everything, right? He did so out of love, not out of obligation. He delighted in everything that he created, and he said that it was good. And then the scriptures zoom in on mankind's creation. As God created mankind to serve on his behalf and to be in relationship with him, not because God was lonely, but because he wanted to pour out his own kind of exuding love uh, upon mankind and upon his creation. Then we see mankind wants to be like God, right? That, that source of envy within their heart turns to action and disobedience that ultimately begins to rip the fabric and the harmony apart. And so what was this beautiful, harmonious symphony within creation becomes like a beginner's class of, of kids playing the recorder. You know, it is, it, is, it is cacophonous. It is hard to listen to. That is what is going on. So God created everything good. Sin crept into the world through the actions of Adam and Eve and God's image-bearing creatures. And now we come to the chapter where we see the first action, um, the first actions of sin 
um, that have begun to fill the world outside of the Garden of Eden. And so what is going to happen? And so that takes us to, to Genesis chapter 4. If y'all would turn with me to your Bibles to page 3, um, and we're, we'll look at verses 1 through 7. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of, of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. This is the word of the Lord. Would you all pray with me? Father, we pray that, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, when I was a kid, uh, there was a, a sensational story um, out of kind of the Houston area, out of Channel View, um, which is right next to uh, the Ship Channel, just on the on this side, on the west hand side of like Baytown, and and uh, and even I think of the of the Ship Channel. Um, but it's a sensational story of a mom of a cheerleader who hired a hitman to murder a rival uh, cheerleading kid's mom. All right, is that, so here's the way the story went. Her kid didn't make the cheerleading team. And she thought, you know what? I don't have enough money to put a hit out on two people, so I can't take the cheerleader and the mom out. What I'm going to do is I'm going to just take the mom out. And over time, the child will become so distraught that she will leave the cheerleading team and then my mom or my daughter will make, make the team. All right? This story was called The Pom Pom Mom. Uh, if you want to check it out, uh, there's some amazing YouTube videos about it. Texas Monthly did an article about it. And so when we hear something like that, we are rightly horrified. Right? Um, right, how in the world does someone's priorities get so out of whack that they are willing to take such drastic measures over such a small issue? Something like that, though, doesn't just happen in a vacuum. It isn't that she was just living this normal, tender-hearted life, and then her daughter gets cut from cheerleading tryouts, and all of a sudden she hatches this diabolical plan. Right? It wasn't according to that that then she began to think, I'm just going to have the rival mom murdered and then it's all going to go according to my plan. That's not how these things go. These decisions, these sins, they, 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 they never come in a vacuum. But outrageous and obvious sins that we hear about in the news or elsewhere always come. Um, they always seem like they do when we hear them, which is why they seem so shocking to us, right? We never would do that, is what we think. But the truth is, these outrageous sins uh, begin just like any other sin. 
disobedience to God and unwillingness to repent. Right? The, dis- the difference here is that if you disobey enough and refuse to repent enough, then your hard heart um, begins, uh, begins to take a, a massive path to the point that you would even begin considering murder. Um, a cheer mom is a good idea. So let's think about how the unrepentant sins that she would have had in her heart that ultimately led to this type of decision. Right? It's, it's, it's the many times that she began to view her own life as the only life that mattered, as having more priority as those around her. Right? It's the times that she thought about how her daughter's life needed to go according to her own plan and not according to anybody else's, much less God's plan. It's the interactions that she had with this other mom, right? where she began to see this other mom as no longer worthy of human dignity. She's less than human, not an image bearer. And so she didn't care about this other woman's worth. Right? These are the sins that we can actually begin to relate to with the pom-pom mom. Right? We're guilty of these similar sins, but it's these sins compounded with an unrepentant heart over time that ultimately led to such a heartless, or we should say hard-hearted, decision. These types of transgressions never happen in a vacuum. I, th- this is the same type of conversation that I end up with all the time um, when talking to people about the Astros sign-stealing scandal. Right? Because everybody who doesn't like the Astros looks at it from that perspective of a vacuum. How did they get to a place where they're cheated in a way that no one else had cheated before? But they didn't. Right? They begin to look at it like anybody else. Other people steal signs too, so I also need to gain an advantage. Right? And then over time, as you make decisions like that again and again and again, your heart hardens and you begin to think, this is the path and you cheat how no one else has cheated before. Right? That is the nature of sin. It is crouching at the door and its desire is to consume you, to control us. Right? It is contrary to us. And that is what this passage is about. This passage is about Cain's descent over time, his, his falling further and further into a hardness of heart because of sin and an unrepentant heart. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Rather than, than sort of a two or three point outline, um, we're just going to talk about the story, that descent over time uh, that is going on in Cain's heart. And then we're going to end uh, with a reminder that, um, that his story is not our story. Uh, that God's grace is even more than Cain can handle. Um, And so let's look at the descent. Um, The passage begins with with the very first pregnancy that Scripture records. Uh, There's a lot of speculation about a lot of elements in in chapter 4 of Genesis. One of the first speculations is around Eve's pregnancy, whether she was pregnant pre-fall or post-fall. Right? There's a lot of speculation about whether sex is, which is expressly talked about here when it says that Adam knew Eve, that's a biblical way of talking about intimate uh, intimacy, whether this was something that only occurs in a post-fall world. Here's the point of why I bring this up. That type of speculation um, is almost always an attempt by us to read something into Scripture 
what the thing that we already want to think and believe. Does that make sense? Um, this passage isn't telling us that stuff. And I think it's safe to assume that because sex is talked about here um, in sort of a positive way, um, that, it is, uh, it, that it is not about whether or not um, this corresponds to the fall. There's no condemnation whatsoever of the sexual act here. And if anything, their pregnancy is in fact a demonstration that Adam and Eve are actually still somewhat fulfilling their first call to be fruitful and multiply, right? What's interesting in this passage and what we should pay attention to is that Eve bears a son and she's really proud of herself for it. She assigns the role of actor or agent to herself when she says, I have gotten a son, kind of relegating God to the role of assistant here um, with the help of the Lord. And look at what she names her son. She names him Cain, which isn't obvious to us, but if you're reading in Hebrew, Cain's name essentially means gotten. Um, It's an indicator to the reader that to some degree, Adam and Eve had an expectation that this is the son that might have been promised by God to undo the curse that the serpent brought about the world. And that indication is strengthened to us as we see that Abel is born. And Abel's name kind of reinforces that uh, what Adam and Eve believed. Abel's name essentially means wisp or nothingness. Um, it's like in the children's book, Julius, the baby of the world. That's a, a, f- a family favorite. Uh, when Lily wants to insult her baby brother, she says, if you were food, you'd be a raisin, right? If you were a number, you would be zero. Um, oh, that, that one hit hard, huh? Uh, Abel's parents had little expectation that he was going to do much, right? Um, how could he if his brother was going to be the one that would undo, uh, that would undo the curse? He's, he's a wisp. He's a nothingness. But Abel's name is actually also here sort of a foreshadowing of his role in the story. He's barely present in the story. And that's because the focus of the story isn't really on him. The focus is on Cain. It's Not for the reasons, though, that his parents anticipated. It's not because Cain is going to be the one that undoes or reverses the curse here. Rather, the story focuses on him because he's an example of what happens as we slide further and further into sin. So Adam and Eve had two sons. And the passage tells us that Cain is a worker of the ground, like his father Adam. And it tells us that Abel is a keeper of sheep. He's a shepherd. And again, a lot has been made about the professions of these two sons throughout, the, uh, throughout church history. Right? Some have tried, to, and maybe y'all have heard some of these things before, some have tried to use this story to say that shepherding was the preferred work. Um, and that's why God accepted Abel's uh, sacrifice. But again, the passage never says anything like that. Um, Both professions are talked about positively in the Bible. Shepherds are a model of good leadership throughout Scripture. And Cain is doing what his father was tasked to do. It's actually what Adam's name means. He is of the ground, and he was a worker of the ground. And so Cain is doing that. Both types of offerings here are seen positively. In verse 3, we learn here that Cain brings an offering to God. 
an offering of the fruit of the ground. And then it says in verse 4 that Abel brought the firstborn of his flock, of their fat portions, it says. And God regarded Abel's offering, but not Cain's. Now, why was one regarded and the other not? Was it because one was a blood sacrifice? Uh, that's one of the, the, the hypotheses that people have thrown out there. But I don't think that that's a very uh, good way of looking at it because the sacrificial system had not yet been put in place by the Lord. And not only that, um, this type of offering that was given, a thanksgiving offering, it was valid and right to bring both a fruit of the ground and an animal. Right? Either one was totally acceptable when looking at Levitical law. So was it because Abel brought the first fruits of, and Cain you know, brought like the soggy bottom leftovers? Right? Even that isn't quite clear. Well, the passage mentions that, that Abel brought the firstborn and also brought the fatty portions, right? essentially saying Abel brought really good stuff. It actually doesn't tell us what Cain did or didn't bring. You see, the passage is less about the quality of the initial offering and more about how Cain reacts to God. The book of Hebrews actually returns us to the story of Cain and Abel, as Judy read for us earlier, and it tells us that God's acceptance of Abel's um, offering was because of the disposition of his heart. Even if Cain had offered the first fruits and the fatty portions of the ground, you know, whatever the fatty portions of the ground would be, um, it's clear that his heart wasn't in it, but Abel's was. Cain was going through the motions here. That's the point. Cain was going through the motions, doing the religious thing, but not in relationship with God. He was doing what, what he knew he was supposed to do, but not because he loved God and wanted to worship him. Right? And this isn't just a Cain problem. This is a human problem. All, uh, we all can do the obedient thing without caring about the relationship. Right? How easy it is to be obedient without love, faith, and care. In essence, Cain's problem and our problem is when we live like this, right? It's what we refer to a lot of times in the Christian faith as legalism, right? Legalism is a way of trying to uh, live by the law in order to keep ourselves from relationship with the lawgiver, with God himself, right? We can be legalistic about all sorts of things, be legalistic about worship, um, going through the motions of prayer and singing, um, and saying all of that without faith, um, without meaning any of it. We can be legalistic about virtuous living, right? being good people who live by a moral code without ever feeling like we need God um, and sometimes trying to be the moral police for everyone else around us. Or we can be legalistic about even being um, connected or a part of the right group, right? Like, we're legalistic about, you know, we're doing church right. That could be one way of looking at it. Or I'm legalistic because I go to the right school. Or uh, I'm doing great and I'm doing uh, awesome because I belong to this particular social group or this political party. Whatever it might be, we can group ourselves in a legalistic fashion. 
These are all sorts of ways that we can make our religious life legalistic and apart from God. And that's what Cain did. Right? He brought an offering, but he had no faith. He had no love, no care. Um, he had no passion for God in it. So what is it that makes legalism like this such a problem? Well, it's that legalism is inherently about you. It's inherently about me. Right? We are the ones who decide to be obedient. We are the ones who determine what is right and good. We are the ones who determine exactly what we're willing to give back to God and what we aren't. Faith, on the other hand, is God-focused. So Cain's legalism, right, his going through the motions is what gets him into trouble here. But we actually see that God is gracious. Right? Though Cain gets depressed because God regards the offering of Abel, God doesn't just like kick him to the curb. It says in verse 4, Cain was very angry and his, ver- and, and his face fell. And, and while for the most part, I, all, I, I really love the, the English Standard Version, our translation that we read, I think it's getting this part wrong. Because within the context of Cain's face falling, this is more describing depression or sadness. Right? Cain brought an offering before God, but he did it only to sort of puff him, himself up with pride not out of love for God, and God preferred Abel's offering and heart disposition because Abel's heart was, was, <clears throat> was one that truly loved God and wanted to honor him. And so God's acceptance of his brother's gift wounds Cain's pride. And so he takes his ball and he goes home. Right? Essentially, that's what's happening here within, within his heart. <clears throat> the sin of legalistically going through the motions... That initiated this slide. So the downward slide, the hardness of heart continues. Sin hardens our hearts. But then as God comes to Cain, we see that Cain's response hardens it further. He's upset. He wants to run away from God. But God graciously pursues here, just as he earlier pursued Cain's parents again and again. He's like that friend who graciously comes to us over and over to tell us we're in a bad relationship, one that's hurting us, and yet we consistently refuse to listen. God pursues Cain to remind him that if he does well, it says, he will not, will he not be accepted? Right? And this sounds really confusing to us. Um, but God is not saying here, right, um, if you do all the right stuff, then you will be accepted, right? Like, I know you messed up here, Cain, but I've got, I've got a plan for your life. If you just start, like, being obedient, if you start worshiping more, if you start giving me more uh, from the fruit of the ground, and if you, if you really just, like, turn, uh, you know, turn your, your life around and live by this moral code, then everything is going to go right for you, and then I'll accept you. That's not what he's saying here. Rather... When he says, if you do well, this is meant to call Cain's heart back. This is a call to repentance, to remind him that God has never left here, that if he brings a contrite heart and a humble uh, spirit, he will be accepted too. And conversely, if he doesn't do well, if he continues to harden his heart, 
if he continues down this path of anger, pride, envy, there's going to be further consequences. God tells Abel that sin is crouching at the door. And this is a personification of evil and sin. There's almost a demonic quality to it, right? Like the serpent himself earlier, the, uh, the deceiver, the accuser is sitting there on the other side of the door and it longs for Cain to just allow one other aspect uh, of his sinful heart for that, for, for that uh, personification to enter in, to devour him. And so unless we do well... Sorry. Siri was crouching at the door. Um, and unless we do well, meaning unless we repent, return to God in faith, we leave that door open. And so sin pounces, consumes, and hardens our heart even further. So God is telling Cain that he has a choice here. He can continue to go down his self-interested and self-seeking path apart from him, right? Where, uh, where that self-interested legalism turns into self-pity, right? Self, self, self. Or he can turn to God in faith, embracing him as he consistently and continually embraces Cain, but if Cain continues to go down the wrong, the wrong path, his heart is going to harden, harden, harden. His sin is going to morph from legalism and rejection of God's authority um, to a life of hatred and murder. Right? These little sins will compound to the point that he will be just like the pom-pom mom, right? where overall, at some point, it becomes outrageous. But it doesn't have to be that way. I hear God graciously calls Cain out of his sin and into a life of faith, love, and worship. God shows Cain that the way to rule over sin in his life um, is to turn to him. Because as we turn toward him, as we follow him and trust him and obey him out of love, it is his grace, it is the grace that we need in order to actually be able to, to put that sin to death. Because it changes our hearts. As we sang... Um, uh, as we sang in Help Our Unbelief, um, that we need Him to make our hearts soft. And that is what He does when we turn to Him. And so my question for us this morning, this is just sort of the main single point, um, is this. Are there areas of your heart and of your life that you have let, that you have let fester? Right? Are there areas where you've let little sins kind of build up? On itself, right? Have you ignored where God has pleaded with you um, and has been calling you to repentance? Has He nudged you to deal with your anger? Has He placed it on your heart to seek help with some of your addictions? Have you felt that God-given burden uh, to turn from your reliance upon yourself and ultimately to to turn to a reliance upon Him? There's a lot of other things that it could be. But this passage serves as a reminder that when we ignore those nudges, when we ignore those God-given graces, those calls to to turn toward Him, our heart hardens and hardens. And over time, we stop listening to Him because we stop being able to hear Him. And then our hearts harden more. So take this as an opportunity to turn toward Him. 
because he doesn't want, he doesn't want our religious actions. Right? Though it's wonderful that we're here, he doesn't care that we're here if our hearts are far from him. He doesn't want our sacrifices, our service, our offerings. He wants, as it said in Psalm 50, um, he wants a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Or as Psalm 51 says, he wants a broken and a contrite heart. In other words, he wants you to want him. He needs you to need him, right? He wants you, your heart, your love. Because he's given you all of him in creation, in pursuit of you, in Jesus Christ. Right? The son who was promised to Adam and Eve and who came in order to defeat the lies and damage that we have done. That were done through the serpent. Right? Cain is not the promised one. Jesus Christ is. And through his life, death, and resurrection, we are given all. So the main point of this sermon, and this is the end, is to turn toward him right? and ask ourselves, ask ourselves this question, do we do well? Right? Turn toward him in faith. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so thankful um, for your love and your mercies that are new for us every morning. And though, Father, at times we turn from you, at times we try and silence that voice within our heart that's telling us to turn back, um, that we're going the wrong way, that our hearts are hardening. Father, I, th- I pray, Lord, that you would soften our hearts, that by your Holy Spirit that you would cause us to turn back toward you, to receive the grace of Jesus Christ that is offered fully for us. And I pray, Lord, that that would change us, that we would become more and more like him, And I pray all of this in the name of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. Amen.